0: The United Church of Christ presents, Who Do You See? The sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, July 14th, 2019. He made it 2,000 miles on his fancy rented motorcycle before he laid it down for the third time, tearing a tendon in his arm and spraining his left knee in the process. He was so jacked up on adrenaline and anxiety that he didn't know how badly he'd hurt himself until the next morning. My husband David, that is. It happened about two weeks into his great wilderness sabbatical, about 500 miles from his first retreat destination in Chugiak, Alaska. He woke up at a lodge in Yukon Territory, about 40 miles from the nearest town, a town of 100. 40, mile, 40 minutes from medical care, unable to ride, without cell service or Wi-Fi or access to a landline, he might as well have been left in a ditch. I want to speak today about precarity and resilience, about the human heart in all its depraved indifference and in all its God-breathed tenderness and beauty. Today's well-beloved story of the traveler who fell among thieves and was left for dead in a ditch at the side of the road speaks to all of that. We often read it as an uplifting invitation to identify with the Samaritan and to take good care of the vulnerable and hurting people we come across along the way. And it is that. Jesus tells the story and caps it off with an admonition. Go and do likewise, he says to the scholar, and by extension to Luke's first hearers, and by extension to us. But the story is also more than that, because whenever Jesus tells stories, when he teaches his followers with a story, the invitation is not just to see ourselves as one of the characters, but all of the characters. In fact, Jesus's first hearers and Luke's community would have heard this story as a bit of an affront. Let's start with a lawyer, really more of a religious scholar, someone well-versed in religious law, not the lawyer we imagine in a court setting. He stood up to test Jesus on that religious law. What must I do to inherit Eternal life, he asked. And as so often happens, when someone asks Jesus a question, he got a question back in return. You're a scholar. You know the law. What is written? What do you make of it? How do you read it? And the scholar, joining together a passage from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus, answers in the same way that Jesus is reported to have answered in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly. But everything about Jesus' answer, do this and you will live, right down to the verb tense assures us that this is not a one-and-done situation. There is not an obligation you can fill, an offering you can make, or a ceremony you can participate in. There is not one big thing you can cross off your to-do list and ensure yourself a ticket to heaven. That is not what this is about. Instead, Jesus invites the lawyer into a way of life, a way of being in the world that opens the gates to rich, real, eternal living, beginning right now. The life of God's kingdom, the life of God's realm. Keep doing this, and you will live. And you will live Well, okay, but, the scholar asks, to make sure he is getting it right and seeing and understanding it correctly, because he is a scholar. Well, he says, but who is my neighbor? Instead of answering, Jesus told the surprising story we think we know so well. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Well, none of Jesus' hearers would have been surprised by that. The road that led from Jerusalem, narrow and winding and literally downhill most of the way, was known to be beset by thieves and bandits. Most people, especially wealthy ones, traveled it in groups for safety. No, a a single traveler falling into the hands of robbers on that road was not surprising. It's what happened next and who came along that was surprising. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. That would be like starting a story, a priest, a rabbi, and a plumber. We all know the joke goes, a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. And everyone in Jesus' audience would have known the story goes, a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. That's how all the folk tales began. The three just go together. And Jesus' hearers would have been more than surprised. They'd have been shocked and offended that the priest and the Levite, seeing the poor man bleeding in the ditch, crossed to the other side and kept on walking. Now, it's become popular to suggest that they crossed the street and kept going because the Torah Had special laws that forbade priests and Levites from touching or even coming close to a corpse. Then they would have been forbidden to participate in temple activities. It would require rites of purification that took quite a time. That is true, but two things to notice. One, they were going down from Jerusalem, away from temple obligations. Being ritually pure was not important, so important in that moment. And even more, there was a law that supersedes the law of purity, a law that requires all Jews, priests, Levites, and Israelites to come to the aid of someone in distress. It's much more important than ritual purity always, even if they were going toward Jerusalem. So their behavior was shocking. It was shocking not because priests and Levites in general and as a class cared more about ritual purity than the well-being of another human being, but because these two individuals in particular should have cared, and they could not be bothered. They saw, but they did not want to see, and so they passed by on the other side. And I wonder how many times a day I see, but do not want to see. How many times a day as I move about a city filled with homeless people, I allow myself to hurry past on the other side. Who have I trained my eyes to see? And who have I trained my eyes to glide over as I move through my day? Finally, in the story, a third person comes along, not the expected Israelite, the expected third character, but a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews were filled with long-held enmity and distrust. They had common ancestors, but their branches of the Torah-following community went different ways. The Samaritans were purists who read only the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. They thought the Jews accepted too many books as scripture. The Jews thought the Samaritans failed to keep the law. They didn't even worship in the temple at Jerusalem, but pretended that God could be found on another mountain. There was cultural and political antipathy between the two groups, and occasional flare-ups of violence. Nevertheless, along came a Samaritan who saw the man in the ditch and having seen, was moved with compassion. He did for the man what the priest and the Levite ought to have done. And more, we like to think of ourselves as the Samaritan reaching out to tend those who are vulnerable. And often, and especially here in community, we are. We feed and tend and care, not only for each other here, but we reach beyond our little community. We step outside our walls in as many ways as we can think of. I wonder if we also remember to see ourselves as the man in the ditch. Because the reality is that every single one of us lives with human fragility. What Kate Bowler calls the human condition of precarity. We are all, in the end, quite vulnerable. When David woke up in that lodge in Yukon Territory, he was quite despondent. And then, the owner of the lodge, who unbeknownst to David had seen him go down the night before, came to his cabin to check on him. This is not the usual way of things, but she checked. She took one look at him and she said, you need medical help. You need to see the nurse up in Beaver Creek. I'll ask one of my employees to drive you because you can't get back on that bike. And she did. And the driver waited until David could get in to see the nurse practitioner, the only medical person in town, and then waited again while the nurse took an hour off for lunch to write up her notes and to speak to her husband. You see, during her exam, she asked David what in the world he was thinking of riding the Canada-Alaska highway alone. It's a place where, if David's pictures are any indication, there are moose and bear right by the side of the road, and they might step out in front of you at any time. When he explained that he was on a sabbatical, and doing a 40-day wilderness adventure, she got really quiet and asked him to come back after lunch. During that lunch, she asked her husband if he wouldn't mind driving David to his next destination, 500 miles away in Chugiak. Then the lodge employee took him back to the lodge, where the owner had arranged to make the room available, although David did not have a reservation for that night, and the room was booked by somebody else the lodge owner called the someone else and then called a bunch of other places to get them a different room. The next day, the nurse's husband, Doug, came down from Beaver Creek, and he and David took off. 500 miles is a long way to ride with someone, at Meredith can attest from last week. <laughs> and just like the two of us, Doug and David got to talking. Turns out they both like fishing, they both like taking pictures of landscapes and wildlife, and they both like pie. And that's it. That sums up what they both like. This good Samaritan and David did not agree on anything else at all. They didn't agree on how to read scripture or what kind of worship is the right kind. They didn't share any cultural or political beliefs. Except for David's obvious need and Doug's compassionate willingness to see that need and fill it, they are two people who probably would never have entered deep conversation, and they almost certainly would not have planned a trip together. And yet, together, they traveled, and they gave each other kindness and compassion and love. I wonder when you have been vulnerable and from whom you have accepted help. Scottish theologian John Swinton was reflecting on the teaching of Jean Vanier in a talk entitled, Who is the Stranger? As many of you may know, Jean Vanier was the founder of the L'Arche communities, communities in which people with and people without cognitive disability live together, not so much as caregiver and care receiver, but as friends. Vanier said that God had called him to this way of living with people, in friendship and in the spirit of beatitude. He was called by God to create space for welcoming and space for hospitality. He said, welcoming and hospitality is something of the word of God, It is something that God tells us to do and sends us out into the world to do. It is a fundamental vocation of humanness to be called into the world to welcome one another and to be hospitable, especially to strangers. We can see it in the ministry of Jesus, how he moved back and forth between being the guest and being the host, this movement This combination of both defines and marks his ministry. Swinton went on to ask, what would it mean if the idea of welcoming the unexpected guest actually applied to all of us? If all of us saw ourselves not just as the welcomer, but as the guest. Because in reality, we all are unexpected guests in the kingdom of God. It is because of God's movement towards us that we know how to be welcomed and to extend welcome. We are all, at one time or another, with our human fragility and precarity, the man in the ditch or the man who fell off his bicycle, desperate for help. We are all, at one time or another, the priest and Levite, seeing and refusing to be touched. We are all, at one time or another, the Samaritan, allowing the sight of another human being to move us with compassion. This is how we participate in eternal life, in life that is whole. We attend to God by attending to one another. This is the essence of religious community and the essence of a truly human life. In the Genesis story, God blows God's spirit into us and sustains us through God's nefesh, God's spirit. Each time we encounter another human being, we encounter something of God. In that sense, every meeting is a holy meeting, and every body is a holy place. At the heart of hospitality is love, and love says It is good that you exist. I am glad that you are here. It isn't always easy to say. It isn't always easy to see in every other human being. But this is what we are called to. It is both the simplest of instructions and the most complicated to carry out. Go and do likewise be the neighbor who sees and responds. Attend to God by attending to the other human beings in your orbit. Attend to God by receiving the hospitality of those who are not like you, those who've got it all wrong. As we learn more and more about the conditions that people are enduring on our southern border, as non-criminal immigrants across the country brace themselves this very morning for raids that circulated to instill the entire immigrant community, both the documented and the undocumented. I wonder, how will we do, as Jesus asked? Who will we see? Whose needs will we tend to? How much inconvenience and disruption will we put up with? Will we go out of our way like the Good Samaritan? like Doug, who took my husband 500 miles out of his way? How much fear will be set aside to allow our seeing to move us with compassion? The scholar, the lawyer in the question, asked a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him not how to get into heaven, but how to bring the realm of God to life now. And then he asked a question that if we're honest, we might all ask. Okay, yes, love of God and neighbor, but who is my neighbor? I mean, after all, who is it okay for me not to love? To which Jesus said, no one. We all need these reminders. Perhaps this should be our question when we wake up. Who have you given me to love today? And this should be our prayer. Give me the strength to do it. And the grace to receive love from whomever you send, whether Samaritan or Israelite, priest or Levite, Democrat or Republican, American or Canadian or Palestinian or Mexican. May we see and respond. Amen.